Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Sheila Holman, who is the Vice President of Human Resources at the YWCA Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Welcome, Sheila. So tell our audience who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Sure. Well, as you said, I'm the Vice President of Human Resources at the YWCA of Nashville, Middle Tennessee. Um, I started my HR career in healthcare, actually, and did bits and pieces of HR and payroll. So started in payroll, then did benefits, then did retirement, uh, employee relations, um, uh, orientation, onboarding, all of those pieces. Um, And then eventually started managing teams. So I managed a team over payroll. I managed a team over HR in different roles. Uh, Went from very large healthcare organizations to more mid-sized healthcare organizations. But one of the things that I felt like was always the same was that um, it it became a machine. Mm. And I felt like I could possibly do HR better, that there was a more Uh way to do HR. And so Mm -hmm. um, I took myself out of that realm and into the nonprofit space. And the YW took a chance on me and I have loved it ever since. That's amazing. So it sounds like your background, it started out with a lot of compliance first and before it got into people. So did that prove as like a good foundation as you went to do HR better? I think it really did. I mean, it gives you a very Mm -hmm. discerning eye. Right. It to, yeah. to also it also teaches you to lean on your policy, to lean on those regulations, because as humans, we we can't help but have our own biases. We can't help but have mm. our own views. And, and we're all looking at life through our own lens. And it's hard to sometimes sit in that other person's seat. But if you go back yeah. to the fact that everybody should be treated the same or be treated based on this policy or this regulation and you start there and you grow up from that particular policy, then it helps you stay balanced. Mm -hmm. So did you go into HR wanting to be part of the human aspect or were you kind of surprised getting, having mostly compliance early on and kind of saw out that human aspect? I think it it allows me to use both sides of my brain, right? So Mm -hmm. my brain just keeping that, the comfort of having things always be black and white is kind of that payroll and that regulatory side of it, that compliance. Yeah. Side of it. Things are very black and white. This is what it is, or this is what it isn't. When I started moving into the HR realm of employee relations and, and day-to-day situations, that's where it becomes a little more gray. And it really is dependent mm-hmm. on the situation and uh, what what the intent behind the rule was, what the intent behind that, um, that new initiative was. And so I think... Um, even though I started on the compliance side and it gave me a really strong base, I enjoyed being able to use both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started managing teams, what did you enjoy about that? I really enjoyed coaching people up. Hmm. And so I typically, um, like my first payroll team, uh, most of them were brand new to payroll. And so I really enjoyed just teaching them how wide and broad that particular field is. And the same thing with HR. I've coached up people who were brand new or very new in the space. And I think it is, it's really fun for me to see them grow, right? Say so here, here are the rules and regulations. Here are some best practices, but now let's add the human element, right? If you were in this seat as, as a recruit, as someone who's just been recruited or someone who's being onboarded, what would you like to see? 
And what does that look like? Mm-hmm. How can we humanize this element, element a little bit? How can we teach our boomers to, to you know, really um, play well with our uh, Gen Z? Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, just all those different things, teaching them the wide spectrum of thought that you have to manage when you're in HR, because usually what we're talking about doesn't just affect one thing. Yeah. You know, they're absolutely if they're ill, then maybe their benefits come into play. But it could also take their time and attendance into play, right? Do they have time off accruals? It could also take into consideration, we have to take into consideration what are the departmental needs if this person is mm-hmm. ill. And, you know, like there's just so many different pieces that you then have to use your brain for. And I think it's really fun to just kind of back up and think of big picture how this affects the the whole organization if one person is struggling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. It's kind of, you know, you are your weakest link mm-hmm. uh, kind of mindset. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your transition into the nonprofit space. Um, well, you know, the smaller you are, the, the more you get to do. <laughs> your, your, your job duties expand exponentially because, um, yeah. you know, you, you are the department or it's you and maybe one other person, which is where we are right now. Um, so what I love is that I get to touch the actual employees. Um, mm, yeah. not so big that I don't know everyone's name. I do. Uh, and in the nonprofit space, what I, I get up every morning for is the fact that I'm really close as well to the programs that we have and the people that they serve. So it's mm-hmm. not just a job, but it's also my opportunity to serve my local community in a wide mm-hmm. range of ways. So, you know, I can, I'm going this weekend to uh, volunteer uh, for a men together kickoff that we have uh, for our youth programming for, for boys. Uh, And so that's me being able to touch the community, right? I can volunteer over at the domestic violence shelter. And that's me being able to touch the community and sit there with the ladies. And even if it's just washing dishes with them or helping them, uh, you know, clean something up, I get to actually sit in that space and Mm -hmm. work with the community that we serve. And I love that. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about, you know, your passion is putting human in HR, you know, maintaining that and making sure that's brought to life. And, you know, those are examples of how you're doing it, you know, even, you know, when you don't have to, because it's related to your job, the fact that you seek out those volunteer opportunities as an extension is really incredible. Um, So tell me a little bit about kind of blending your passion with what you do uh, at the YWCA, because I'm I'm sure that's definitely interlinked um, with your volunteer experience and, you know, the kind of work that you seek out. Yeah. And, and, I think it's just like, for me, it's, it's just a really heartwarming opportunity. Not everybody gets to do this. Most people say, this is my job. I go home. I really don't want to think about my job. Um, and I'm a little bit of a workaholic. So, you know, (laughs) being able to separate that was really hard for me. But when I was able to morph it into a role where there is a job, but then there's also service community Mm. people to actually serve in the community in some capacity, then it really became more than a job. You know, Mm -hmm. it became this life fulfilling um, thing that I do that not only makes money, not only makes sure that I can eat and take care of my child, but it also is something that I can feel good about every day that I see. I get to hear the stories of these ladies having brand new lives. I get to see these youth grow. I get to participate in all of the wonderful programs that the YW does. And so I'm really happy to blend into that. 
uh, I get to bring a different type of leadership because I um, enjoy coaching the leaders that we have. You know, the resources for nonprofits are very slim. Mm -hmm. Um, There's usually not funding for training up our leaders or um, for them to go to conferences and things like that. And so in order to keep them growing, they need someone that's on their side, coaching them on the regular. And so I try to make sure that I'm there for them. And, you know, all the leaders in our organization have my cell phone number and they're able to, you know, call me up and kind of use me in that moment to, as a sounding board or as a coach, to walk through situations they just haven't been in before. Um, and so I've really expanded it into a personalized HR position for myself where I am serving mm-hmm. every single leader in this organization and then able to serve all the way down to our frontline employees and then able to serve our clients. Yeah. And service is a, an interesting word because just a few weeks ago, I interviewed someone who said the same thing. I view my role in HR as an act of service. And I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, so it's really great to hear you explain it very, in a very similar way that, you know, you are serving people in your role. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I love that, that viewpoint. And just even from a corporate perspective, you'll have internal and external clients. And typically HR has internal clients, right? But not everybody mm-hmm. takes that to heart. And I think that's the difference maybe between that individual and me is that we really do take to heart that we are serving these individuals. Our job is based upon helping those people excel. You know, we want mm-hmm. them happy in their role. We want them to excel in their role. We want them to leave better than when they came to us, you know, because even if people move on to have a great story about your past employer could be how we get other employees or how we amplify our own organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I really love is that, you know, you listen to people's stories, you know, you spend time with people in, in your role and how you serve. Um, and, you know, one thing I know about you is that you're very passionate about allowing everyone to have a voice or at a seat at the table. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the importance and, you know, what happens when people have a voice? Absolutely. Um, well, and I've always been a always been that person who felt like you need to know the receptionist, you need to know the Mm. assistant, you need to know the janitor. Those people have the inside scoop you know nothing about, right? (laughs) Um, Because because and their thoughts and their ideas and their messages are just as important as the ones in the department heads as the CEO, COO, because they see and know things that maybe the rest of us don't. Um, Mm -hmm. So I feel like HR sometimes is the bridge. Uh, And I try to teach leaders to do this because the larger the organization is, the more you have to rely on your leaders to be able to do this. Um, You need to know their stories. You need to hear their struggles. You need to understand what they're seeing and how we can improve as an organization. And if the leaders in HR are taking that message higher then the CEO and the COO or the president of the organization is so much more prepared to make the decisions they have to make for the entire organization. And I think that's uh, where organizations that have HR sitting next to them when they make these decisions make wiser choices in my mind because they have the business element, they have the financial element. Well, it's also important to have the people element sitting right beside mm-hmm. How does this affect our organization, our ability re- to recruit, uh, the longevity of our employees, the, the culture, the morale of the folks that are serving our clients? Because the organization, in order to make sure the people you serve 
are happy, you need to have happy employees. If you leap over the employee to get to the client, um, you've missed a step because happy employees are happy to serve. Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, who or what I am loyal to and the loyalty comes from kindness. I think about those relationships and, you know, the people that create safe spaces and supportive spaces for me, that's where my loyalty goes. So yeah, of course, you know, uh, employees are going to have that loyalty when, if they feel like they're working in a safe and supportive space. Absolutely. And even just in your relationships, right? Like I have literally had to fire an employee, but because of the way the process went, they knew it was a fair termination. And because they knew I still had their back as an individual, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was willing to help them with their resume, willing to help them find next steps, willing to coach them up into their next role. Um, That person is still connected to me. You know, I still have those individuals that say, well, you know, it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you for helping me get to that next step. Um, And that is because, you know, I, I humanized the moment. It didn't have to be a yeah. humiliating, um, humiliating experience. It really needed to be a growth point for them. And if you can, yeah. Talk so about let's that talk about. Yeah. So I but let's dive into this and you know talk about those those tough endings um, because <laughs> you know they don't have to be as tough as we make them out to be. And I know that you have a, a strong track record of that. Um, so how do you look at you know when it comes time to let someone go or you know that cross that bridge? Yeah. There's a book by Dr. Henry Cloud and it's called Necessary Endings. And I think that is a perfect title for what sometimes HR has to do, right? Create moments of necessary ending. Um, But hopefully if we've done it right, that person has had the opportunity to reflect, the department's had an opportunity to reflect. Have we done everything we could to get this employee up to speed? Have we given them every opportunity to to be the best that they could be? If we have, and this employee still isn't performing or isn't happy or isn't showing up, then we have to have a conversation with the employee to ask them, why? Why aren't you happy? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you showing up? It could be a personal struggle. It could be this really wasn't the job they wanted. They settled for this role. Um, You know, there could be a, a myriad of different things that are holding them back. But if you can create a safe space, have an honest conversation and get to the brass tacks of what's really going on. Um, you can encourage that person either into growing or into moving into a place where they will be happy. And and that's where I talk mm-hmm. about necessary endings. You know, if, if you're not happy and it's showing in a way that's affecting your performance, um, rather than having the situation turn into a termination, why don't we talk about where you want to be? You know, and people's shoulders relax. Oh, you know, you would do that? Absolutely. I don't want to drag you through another year of working here while you look for another role if you're not happy because you're not performing at 100%. So let me, let's do a 30 day offboarding plan. Let's find you another job. Let's post the role. Let's let your department head prepare and let's move forward in a, in a, in a happy and healthy fashion. This doesn't have to be, you know, I hate you and I pull the rug out from underneath you and, and, you know, escort you out the door in the back and and, in the alley. I just don't think it has to be that way. I think most people don't want to fail. So let's figure out how to succeed, even if it's not with us. 
Yeah. And I feel a lot, at least in my employment history, um, it's scary to, to admit that I'm not happy. Um, you're worried that you're going to offend your boss, um, you know, your, your colleagues, um, you know, you're, you're afraid criticism is going to come back in the form of retaliation. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, being an employer that, you know, not only, accepts these open conversations, but encourages them, like you said, like the shoulders relax, it helps people have less fear in their day to day life, too. Yeah, because and, and managers are human, right? So there are yeah. plenty of leaders who have been like, oh, you know, I'm scared to have that conversation with them because I know they want to do something bigger, but they're too good at their role. I don't want them to to move up because I need them. Um, you know, I don't want them to leave me. And am I response is always, well, they're going to leave you if they're not happy and they're not, you know, to grow, they'll leave anyway. So let's make sure that they leave happy and with a good story to tell about this organization versus being jaded and upset because we wouldn't allow them to be the best they could be. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one thing I love about your experience um, is that you get on the ground level and you talk to people, um, you know, that's something that you had done through, you know, training opportunities. Uh, Cause I know that you had trained employees and that gave you an opportunity to get to know them. Uh, so can you talk about the importance of getting to know of that, mo- those moments where you spent with each individual and got to know them? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think has been really helpful is I think HR has to have highly sensitive ears. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, when you hear that tidbit from someone, I really want to, I really want to do this, or I really would like to end up doing that, um, or I'm interested in this particular piece of the, of the work. I think you have to learn to then latch onto that information and find a way how to help them get there. Now, I like mm-hmm. to coach managers to be able to do this as well. My goal is that their manager could catch it first. Because again, the bigger the organization is, the less HR is able to be there for every conversation. Um, but if we're doing it right, and we really are investing in our employees, the moment I know something interests you, um, even if it's a free resource, here's a podcast that's about you know how to raise funds for an organization. Here's a, a free web training. Here's a newsletter. Here's a whatever. And it really feeds their spirit, right? Someone heard me. Someone paid attention. They know I'm interested. Here's how I get to learn. Now I'm going to be better. Um, and it's those little things. And I tell my managers, do the same thing. Listen to what inspires them. Give them a little bit of that. You never know where it's going to lead. And it just lets them know you really do care about them as a human and that you're you're supporting their growth. And I think that just means the world to people. Yeah. I mean, how awesome does it feel to get, you know, a, a resource or something from someone with a message, I thought of you? Mm-hmm. That's such an awesome feeling. So yeah, that's, just you know, performance reviews, right? Like you're short yeah. on this. So now I'm making you take a training. It's not just that it's, Hey, you were inspired by this. And I, you know, here's what I think might help you get where you want to go. Yeah. Those little touch points, they, they build and they matter for sure. Um, and I know that, 
you know, new generations are looking for new values as, mm. you know, the workforce Very is true. so different. So you mentioned before uh, the baby boomer and Gen Z divide, um, because I know that baby boomers are a little bit more traditional in the workplace where Gen Z is, they're looking for a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it like, you know, recognizing you have to, of some groups of people with millennials and Gen X thrown in, um, you know, that want different things. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it's about tools. Um, I think it's about helping people understand their audience, right? So I see mm-hmm. a lot of leaders, a lot of your C-suite might still be boomers where a lot of your frontline might be the Gen Z or some of your middle managers might be Gen Z. Um, although that's changing quickly. Um, but what I try to do is sit in, in a, coaching moment and ask them to understand how that person might perceive it based on uh, not just their personality, but also their generation. You know, when you're a boomer, it was um, the idea that you should just be happy to have a job was enough. Mm. Right. And I've had boomers say, Hey, I want to move this person to this role because we're phasing out this, this job. We won't have it anymore. I, you know, I'm just going to move them. And my response would be, you know, have we asked them if they're interested in that role? Yeah. <laughs> they want that role? Is that where they're going? Yeah. Um, well, they'll just be happy to have a job. Will they know? Or will they be <laughs> until they find something else? Right? Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's, it's, it's then backing up and saying, you know, here's how this might may be perceived from a different mm-hmm. lens uh, and seeing if they can kind of digest that. And move forward. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, in HR, you have to, you have to, you have to let people get there when they get there, right? Sometimes it takes a mm. couple of times of you speaking to them about how to address a certain group, and then it might fall flat a couple of times, and then they finally get it and they start using it, and you know, you're you're happy to see them grow in that respect because everybody wants to communicate well, and they don't always understand why they don't. But if I can help them understand their audience, then they'll grow. Yeah. And I know that you're also all about making things accessible to people, you know, uh, not using large, you know, uh, lingo or uh, that, you know, I know you came from healthcare, So, you know, probably used a lot of healthcare lingo going into that. Um, so can you talk about, you know, the accessibility of communication? Absolutely. I think, you know, it really started in benefits. People mm. felt like did not understand the alphabet soup of be- benefits and yeah. leave, you know, all these terminologies and, and, and think they just you could just see their eyes glaze over. Right? Yeah. They didn't understand retirement. They didn't understand FMLA. They didn't understand. Um, and I felt like sometimes people were educated beyond their ability to explain simply what was going mm. on. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, if you can't explain it to a sixth grader, then you can't explain it. Yeah. I need you to go back, you know, think about this being your 12 year old at home and keep it in, you know, kind of least common denominator terms. Right. Yeah. What is going to help this person understand? Yes, there's always the, you know, deniability clause. Yes, there's always the small writing at the bottom that sometimes people need. But get to their get to that when they're ready. Start with big mm-hmm. picture. Start with very accessible words. Now, I, you know, I have done trainings uh, for C-suite before about their retirement, and I was able to use a different terminology. Um, but the general populace doesn't want to tell you that they have no idea how to use their HSA. 
You know, the general yeah. populace doesn't want to come in and say, I really don't understand what weighted over time means, um, mm. you know, or if this is right. They either come in mad or they just slide out the door and they really don't say anything. And sometimes they slide out the door unhappy. And that's what I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. And it's frustrating when you, you know, you have these things that can benefit you, but don't understand how to connect, how to get them. Yeah. So which I feel, you know, at least in my career, I felt that quite a bit going through all the pamphlets and mm-hmm. well, what health insurance do I choose? I don't know the difference. So I can, yeah, definitely relate to that. Yes. Let's make sure we're doing plenty of trainings, making sure those trainings have really accessible terms, making sure you're doing it in different ways, whether it's in paper or verbally or through a video. So, you know, again, meeting people where they are. Some people learn differently, right? Some people need that one-on-one because their situation is very complicated from a healthcare perspective. So I think you, you have to think through those things based on what you know about your populace and then be very mindful of making sure it fits your group. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about more about meeting people where they are. Um, so for you, how do you adjust, um, you know, those various trainings based on what people need? Yeah. Um, again, what what is my biggest looking at my population that I'm working with? What is my biggest struggle? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be that we have a lot of, you know, this is their first job and they don't understand the terminology at all is, is my biggest struggle going to be um, these folks are really busy and they need the quick and dirty, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's looking at every group and really breaking down what are my biggest struggles for this group? If I'm sitting in their seat, mm-hmm. what do I need to know? And why do I need to know it? Um, and then, and then moving, moving from that perspective, I try to sit in their seat and, and, and figure it out for them. So it might be, you know, someone who I might have a training that is very high level for everybody who's had it before. I may have a welcome to using your HSA type of training. You know, I might have um, something that uh, is very personalized. If you have a specific health struggle, here's my Calendly, you know, jump on my calendar and let's do a a 30 30 minute uh, brief of what your particular health situation is. I think you have to be able to offer options nowadays. Um, people are using mm-hmm. things fast. They're used to getting things in a variety of ways. And I think in order to be agile in HR, you have to be able to offer them more than one platform to get their information. Um, and so once I've identified those struggles, given them alternate platforms, then hopefully I've answered the need. Mm-hmm. And I want to you know, think a little on that a little bit more because thinking about what is someone's biggest struggle is far more productive than, you know, what we often hear. Everyone has a different struggle. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're saying, you know, that your strategy is to think about someone's biggest struggle, you're looking at them as a person. Mm -hmm. You're looking at their background, their, you know, their day to day. And I think that is a, that is such a great piece of advice, just, you know, in any situation of understanding someone better, you know, what, what do you think their biggest struggle is? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you it's it's just a deeper form of, of humanity, you know, by asking that question. So I really love that you brought that up. Yeah, because there's typically trends, right? There's typically trends in your yeah. groups. And so you're looking for those high level trends that you can help them with. You know, I've worked with populations where we might have a large population. I worked at one place where it was, um, you know, 70 percent Vietnamese. So their biggest struggle mm-hmm. might be the language barrier. 
right? Mm-hmm. I've worked in situations where like we have now, we have a 24 hour shower, uh, shelter. And so the scheduling mm-hmm. might be the biggest struggle that these folks have. You know, I'm having trouble mm-hmm. getting to the trainings. I'm having trouble um, getting to my doctor's appointments. I'm having trouble with transportation in bad weather. So, you know, let's figure out what all that looks like for these different groups and then try to minimize the struggle. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, Sheila, this has been a great conversation. Um, I love the way you're putting human further into HR. Um, Before we part, do you have anything that you would like to add or think that I missed during the conversation? You know, I think it's, I'm hopeful that good HR people are able to do their best work. And I think if the C-suite, I think if leadership will engage your HR partner with them, on a more personal level, not only will they grow as leaders, but HR can really do a lot of good by helping you plug into your people in a different way. So I think I'm hopeful and excited that there's a lot of good HR people out there that want to help their leaders um, optimize their team. So I just encourage them to do that. Partner with your HR person, figure out what they see as the biggest struggle and, and what you can do better as a leader and help them uh, serve your organization better because then, then we're all better off. Yeah. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do so? The best way to do so is on LinkedIn. That's really the easiest way to find me. So, you know, uh, looking up Sheila Holman and if you, um, or look at YWCA Nashville, you'll also see me there as part of the leadership team. Uh, and you can always, um, message me and I'm happy to connect and coach. Awesome. Well, thank you again for this amazing conversation. If you or anyone you know is like Sheila who wants to make the workplace better for people, reach out to me, Lindsay, at Staff Geek. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.